how often in life would you say you saw a problem and said to yourself, man, someone should do something about it. And out of all those times, how many of those times have you actually gotten up to do something? It can be difficult because a lot of the problems in this world deal with things we know nothing about. And not long ago, Mackie Griffin found herself in the same predicament. She learned that hundreds of people in her city were without affordable fresh fruits and vegetables, and she wanted to do something about it. So without any grant writing knowledge or farming experience whatsoever, she decided to create and find funding for her own community garden, now known as Unity Fridge. And although even organizing an initiative like this is a challenge, it wasn't until she found herself in the middle of a half acre of dirt and a pile of manure right in front of her that she learned the true meaning of being the change you want to see in the world. I was all gung-ho, I was ready to do it, I was ready to, you know, make this big change, I had these big ideas, and then it was the first time I ever stepped foot on Waterman Farm, and I saw this big pile of, you know, dirt, this half acre, and I was like, whoa, what am I doing? So how did the story end? And is the garden even fruitful? And how do you go about the task of doing something bigger than yourself with little to no experience? Well, my friends, that is to be determined. Welcome to the first edition of the To Be Determined podcast miniseries. We're going to call it Everyday Amazing. It's where I find everyday people who are doing awesome things and tell their stories. Now, although you don't want to really say it and your student loans wouldn't dare allow you to say it, there are some classes in college that have very little impact in our lives. They show us the skills we need, yeah, but they don't charge our batteries exactly. Like It doesn't charge our batteries with passion, give us that direction for that passion. But every now and again, there's that one tech lecture, that one topic that stirs your heart like no other. And for Maggie, this lecture came her senior year at The Ohio State University. So it all started out in a social and economic justice class in the College of Social Work um, as an undergraduate student. And so the idea was the entire semester we kind of focused in on a social or economic justice issue and we wrote a bunch of papers and did a bunch of research about this one issue. And so the professor handed out this list of all these issues and I was reading over them one night and I saw food deserts on there. And I didn't really know anything about food deserts and knowing that this was kind of, you know, my last few years of the program, I wanted to really get a handle on what was going on and happening to kind of the people that we serve. And so I was like, we'll see, see where this goes. I'm going to yeah. pick food deserts and see what's up. So a little background if you're confused. The food desert, by definition, is an urban area in which it's difficult to buy affordable or good quality fresh fruits or vegetables. Basically, if there isn't a grocery store within a mile radius of your house, then chances are you're in a food desert. This may not be a huge deal if you have a car, but if you don't, it kind of changes the game a little bit. Like, what if you're super hungry, right, and you need the food at your convenience? Well, that's what convenience stores are for, right? But the problem is... When was the last time you went to a convenience store that had fruits or veggies? There's usually pop, chips, candy, all that kind of stuff. So naturally what you're going to do is go with one of those items because they're cheap and they're right there. Which is fine every now and then, of course, but what if it becomes a habit, an everyday thing? Now imagine if you're a child. These poor eating habits lead to a whole bunch of things. Diabetes, high blood pressure, a vast array of different health issues. Nationwide, roughly 16% of our households with children are affected by this phenomenon. Despite the U.S. being one of the most economically thriving countries, 
far too many neighborhoods are being labeled as food deserts. This stands true for the city of Columbus as well, where this whole story takes place. In 2016, The Ohio State University polled over 600 households around the city of Columbus. 26% of them said that they were not satisfied with their ability to access food, and 27% claimed that they could not find fresh fruits or vegetables in the stores. The most alarming piece of information I found from the study, however, came from the university's own overall assessment that found that 32% of the neighborhoods in Columbus were considered to have very low or poor food security. Needless to say, this is a huge problem in the city of Columbus and a problem that Maggie couldn't get off her mind. And then from there, it really was about three or four months of writing these papers and, and understanding really the severity that, that food deserts how they're impacting Columbus and then really the long-term effects that they can have um, in a community, not only for health, but, you know, social, emotional growth, all of these things that happen from something so basic, you know, is food. And I kind of see food as a basic human right. That was something that when I was growing up, I never had to think about food, which was, you know, very privileged position of me, but, but really understanding that, no, this is something that is heavily affecting our community and the community that I hope to work in. So time went by and Maggie threw herself deeper and deeper into this food desert rabbit hole. And by all accounts, her papers were done. The assignment was to learn more about food deserts and food insecurity. And by all standards, she did just that. But something kept nagging at her. She couldn't get it off her mind. And during these times, I think we learned the most important lessons. Really the hardest part, and I, I say this when I talk to, to anyone and I'm telling this part of the story, is like it felt wrong like you just had that feeling in the pit of your stomach when I went to submit this paper that was like you can't turn this in and then be like okay see ya have a nice day you know because you know you know what's happening now and you have this idea of you know every time you went to eat something you were like man like I had to do something I had to take that extra step anyone listening right now who's ever taken some sort of social change or economic justice class knows there's a lot of problems thrown your way during those classes. Homelessness, poorly funded education, lack of resources, the list goes on forever and ever. And a lot of these people can get frozen when they see these issues. Of course they want to do something, but what? What could I possibly do about these problems that are so much bigger than I am? Like It's like stepping in the ring with, with Mike Tyson in his prime. A, a task is so daunting that you don't even know where to begin. I mean, sometimes you just... <laughs> Decided to just take a nap instead, right? But Maggie didn't do that. So instead, she started off small and began to just talk to people about the problem. One thing led to another, and soon enough, an opportunity presented itself to Maggie. So the whole, the class where I figured out what a food desert was, was in like September, you know, that whole like fall term. Uh, and then the President's Prize, I got an email about it around January. Um... And so really in that in between time, you know, where it got to December where I was submitting that paper, it was still rolling around in my head. I was talking to people about it, kind of annoyed about what was happening in our community. And someone sent me the email in January for the President's Prize and was like, hey, you might want to like look into this. I know you've been talking about like food or whatever, so maybe you could do something with this. The President's Prize has become one of the highest recognitions you can get out of the Ohio State University. Each year, the award is given out to only two graduating seniors who show promise in creating social impact. The prize? 50 grand of funding going towards your project and another $50,000 to live off of while you build your project. During the time of our story, however, the President's Prize was in its infancy. 
and was looking for his first ever winner. Needless to say, the competition for this award was very stiff. Students from all over campus campaigned to put themselves in the position to win. Of course, this was a grand opportunity, but it was something far larger in scale than Maggie had expected. I wasn't even going to get a grant. I mean, really, I was not thinking large scale on this at all. It was one of those things that was like, maybe I'll volunteer at a food pantry. Maybe I'll volunteer at a community garden. There was no me starting anything originally. And it just so happened, like, big believer in fate, it just so happened this email comes out and my friend sent it to me. And it was like, you know what? Maybe maybe I could turn, like, all of this research or whatever all this knowledge into something or try something new or be innovative with, you know, how we're looking at at food deserts and food insecurity, um, especially around college campuses. And so that's when in January, I was like, let me try to create something and not just attach myself to another program. So let's recap for a second. Girl meets problem and is compelled to do something about it. And at first she thinks, hey, why not just volunteer a little bit, maybe spread the word, something like that. Well, then all of a sudden, someone emails her about an opportunity of a lifetime. But the catch is she needs to find something in a bigger scale, do a bigger, larger scale intervention, and create it in a roughly short amount of time. So, with the clock ticking, she did what a lot of innovators do. She just started with an idea. Now, as we talked about before, the problem with living in a food desert is not having access to fresh fruits and vegetables. And a lot of people don't have transportation to go out and get them from a grocery store. So Maggie thought, why not bring the food to them? What if the neighborhoods had a local food source that not only brings them food, but at no cost to them? So then the next question is, where do we get this food? Would it make sense to partner with the grocery store and just use some of their product? But working with outside businesses would definitely complicate the matter. So instead, Maggie decided to get food straight from the source, harvesting it from mother nature herself and creating a community garden. The goal of the project was to create a fresh source of fruits and vegetables for food desert communities while also educating them and uniting people about the cause. With this in mind, Unity Fridge was born. The term unity isn't just thrown in there to sound good. When creating this plan, Maggie made it a goal to be a working force in the community. She didn't want to just help them, she wanted to serve them. She explains the difference here. The idea of helping someone implies that like you have either this knowledge or this power or this this hierarchy over them. So you, you are there to impart something on them or do something to them. Um, and serving, I think, is more of a collaborative part of where this other person, they know their life better, they know their community better, they know what's up, and you don't. Like, I'm the outsider when I go into these communities. I have no special power or, you know, I have no hierarchy over them. Really, they're the ones that are teaching me and helping me grow and learn and so that's how I need to approach it versus me being the one coming in and giving out this produce and wow look at what I'm doing no that's not what it's about it's about becoming a part of these communities and building relationships and understanding the needs in the community because really if if my organization doesn't understand the needs of the community and doesn't build those relationships there's no point in us being there you know so it's really more about how can we serve people versus let me be here to help you because they don't need they don't need help like that you know what i mean like that's not that's not what it's about and at last an idea was in the works but there was still one huge problem (laughs) the funniest part about this whole story and about this whole project is that you know i was not a farmer or a gardener or anything before this i mean i was not i didn't really know you know i knew where food came from but not in a big way you know not really how to grow it how to keep it up um 
I had no idea what I was doing or, you know, food distribution or cleaning food or any of this that all goes into running this program that a lot of people don't think about. I had no idea. And so I was really terrified and I was sitting, I was house sitting back in my hometown sitting on their couch and I just submitted this application for the President's Prize, which is how I was gonna try to get funding for this whole program. Um, and I was like, you know what? At least I say, I'll, I submitted it. I submitted something, I tried something, clap my hands, I'm done, all right? Like I, I did something, I tried it. Um, really never thinking that anything else was gonna come from this. Yeah, I thought it was, like, I thought it was over, right? Like I wrote, the, I wrote this grant, I hit the submit button. Yeah. I, I did my small part, but I was wrong. <laughs> With just one click of the submit button, it was off to the races. Maggie made through several rounds of interviews and eventually was named the inaugural President's Prize winner of 2017. And just like that, her world was changed. In a matter of a few months, she went from someone writing a paper to a leader of a new organization with his sights on changing the community, which naturally terrified her in the beginning. So the President's Prize is this four-round application process. And so there's two written rounds, there's an interview round, there's a presentation round, and it's with all of these like big, important people at Ohio State, super intimidating. Um, I was fine through all of that because it was still hypothetical, right? Like nothing was set in stone that I was going to actually have to do this yet. And so, you know, I was kind of, I was all gung-ho, I was ready to do it, I was ready to, you know, make this big change, I had these big ideas, and then it was the first time I ever stepped foot on Waterman Farm, and I saw this big pile of, you know, dirt, this half acre, and I was like, whoa, what am I doing? Like, what did I get myself into? Because I'm not, again, I'm not a farmer, I'm not a gardener, and... I was way out of my realm and I, I think for a long time was so comfortable with being good at things like I was good at school or good at what I what I did as far as social work but this was the first time that I really felt like I'm gonna fail a lot you know and, and being comfortable with failure was, uh, was something that I wasn't really ready for at first and that I think was my biggest that hit me in the face the hardest it was really my biggest mental block was knowing that I'm not gonna get this right every single time or I'm gonna make these mistakes or I'm gonna, you know, mess up in a big way. And that's something that really in my life I hadn't done yet. And it really is because I was playing it safe. You know, I had played it safe for so long. I knew that school was kind of my thing. So I kept on that track, you know, forever. And I knew that that was kind of my my niche. And then I, I realized, you know, taking this big step meant getting out of my comfort zone and knowing that failing sometimes or messing up it's not a bad thing it was just part of this this bigger journey into this new kind of nonprofit. and i know there's at least one of you out there thinking oh how hard could this be i mean like you just find some dirt right then grow some vegetables big whoop like what's the big deal for the sake of those people and for this episode i decided to do a little bit of a dive into the world of farming to get a better understanding of what goes into it and it's a bit complicated, to say the least. And believe me when I say, it's it's a handful. I mean, first you have to find the soil, right? And there's different types of soil, didn't know that. And then you have to figure out what vegetables or fruits can grow into that soil. And that's just like phase one. That's just like a little part of it. And to be clear, Maggie didn't just decide to grow some food out of her backyard. This was the creation of an organization. Like essentially, she wasn't only running a small farm a small nonprofit as well which is a huge undertaking and if she wanted this organization to thrive and at least food to even grow she needed to find the right people to support her 
There's a great program uh, at Ohio State called the Master Gardener Program. It's through Franklin County Extension, and it's people who are incredible gardeners. They go to all these trainings, all these classes. Um, and an incredible woman, her name's Mary Ann Ewing, um, she signed on, and we met at a Starbucks on campus. And this was, you know, a few months after I had officially won the prize. And we sat down together, and she's like, she was still with me to this day, and really has taught me everything I know because. If it weren't for her, I mean, this would have been a big old flop because I do not know what I'm doing gardening wise. And she taught me all about, you know, pollination and all these incredible things. And the staff at Waterman um, are some of the most incredible people you'll ever meet. They love to teach and they love to show you farming. And also, you know, they're big believers in I'm not just going to do it for you. I'm going to teach you so that you'll be able to do it next time. So I can fix, you know, irrigation lines now, or I just learned how to graft apple trees today. Like they're all about not only getting it done, but making sure you know how to get it done and you're really taking ownership over your plot. So I think those are Marianne and all the staff at Waterman are really the two biggest influencers and then also Michelle Kaiser who is a professor at the College of Social Work she signed on when all of this was still an idea you needed a faculty sponsor um, to do the president's prize someone to kind of say we'll take you under our wing and Michelle has been there since this was all just a crazy idea you know I came into her class saying I want to build this garden and do this thing and she was like all right let's do it and so she has been with me since when this was just a paper, you know, and an idea in my head to really making it happen. So she's a huge, huge influence in my life. Although the university provided ample resources for the farm, being backed by a juggernaut such as Ohio State can come with its worries as well. All of a sudden, Maggie found herself in front of cameras and on TV. Her once personal wish to just help people in need of food became somewhat of a movement. Then there's the meat and potatoes of this whole effort, the actual farming. She had the support, the drive, and now a great team behind her. But as always, there's things that you can't really predict no matter how hard you try. One of those things being the weather. We got a lot of water the first year, so there's a lot of flooding. And like I said, I, I like to be a perfectionist. I don't like to get things wrong. And like when this big flood hit, we lost a bunch of produce. We lost a bunch of plants. It was expensive. And it was like my first big like oh what did I what did I do what did I get myself into you know I can't fix this how I don't I can't control the rain from sky like I don't know what I'm doing and I think the biggest lesson out of that was just that I can't control everything you know and I have to kind of work with what we've got and be creative and be collaborative and it, it I think the big moments where I've thought I can't get out of this or this is gonna be it have been the biggest moments of growth for the program because I've had to lean on other people or gain, you know, other people's insight or, you know, just just know that I'm not on this path alone. And even though I, this 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 idea started really from from my head and me being, you know, by myself, it's thrived and flourished because we've brought other people in and because we've made it more of like a, a community that cares about this program instead of just me. So really, those those big moments of what did I do have made the most growth, I think, for the program. And despite all the outside pressures, the flooding, the TVs, the cameras, and even the pressure she put on herself, Unity Fridge was able to produce and began to distribute food to the community. At the time of this recording, it's been about two years since the birth of Unity Fridge, and it's still thriving. The program has provided about 1,500 pounds of food to all neighborhoods around the Columbus area. 
This year, the farm has grown in size and is almost a full acre. People from all over the city come to volunteer, and crazy enough, tons of people from Maggie's hometown drive two hours to come show their support. Unity Fridge not only provides food, they also educate children about the entire process. Elementary students visit the farm and learn about vegetables and how to grow them, which leads to hilarious interactions. I wanted to understand what this experience has been like for Maggie going into these communities. Listen as she reflects and gives us an hilarious story that shows the importance of this program. So we had, this is one of my favorite stories. We had um, someone out on our produce stand. Uh, we had corn that week because it had been donated to us from a different part of the part of the farm because we don't grow corn. Um, so it was new there. And she came out and they were like, oh, we, um, this isn't corn. What are you talking about? She's probably like five. Like she's, she's small. She's little. And she had sat with us all summer and helped us pass out produce. And she's like, this isn't corn. Corn does not look like this. Like it's yellow and it's small and it's in a can like this is not I promise you this is she's like getting upset with me like I'm lying to her that this isn't corn and so we like shucked this piece of corn with her and you would have thought I had done like witchcraft like she was so freaked out so she's like uh-uh and not ready for it and so I let her take home corn with her and we came back you know two weeks later and she was like it was corn like it really was corn and I was like I wasn't lying to you you know and so just seeing moments like that, like those light bulbs kind of turn for, especially for kids, because that's why I really got into this, is to work on the, the child food, childhood food insecurity part of things. Um, seeing those light bulbs go off for kids or for kids to get excited about produce really, like it makes my heart happy, you know, because it's like, this is where change happens, you know, if we can really reach kids. And so seeing little moments like that, just of them learning about produce or really getting excited about look at what you can grow or what you can do it's it's fun it makes it worth it the biggest thing has been to try to build relationships with people um and build relationships within already existing community organizations you know i didn't want to be just this singular produce organization and so that's why it was so important to partner with you know schools or to partner with community organizations or any anything like that where you have someone who's already been in the community for so long and that people trust in the community really building yourself in as a piece of that instead of sticking out as this new group so you kind of build on trust that's already been built and then kind of show them that you know I'm, I'm just here to drop this produce off and you know I grow it but I need somebody to eat it because I can't you know so really just showing it as that collaborative piece um I think is really important and, and really focusing on the relationship piece of it. I never want someone to think that I'm coming in, I don't know, is, is like to help, you know, as if, if I have some sort of power or hierarchy over them, but really to serve and to know that, you know, this is what I want to do with my life and I like to grow this produce and it's, it's here for you and I'm here to serve. So one last thing, I've actually gotten to know Maggie over this past year. We've worked together in this uh internship and i've got to tell you i've learned a crap ton from her like seeing her and hearing her story about creating this unity fridge from literally like the ground up has taught me the most important lesson in a world of prerequisites resumes and you just got to prove yourself in day in and day out it's easy to fall into this idea of being worthy like i have to be worthy of x y and z and at the age of 20 right maggie had no type of agricultural experience no type of grant writing knowledge nothing like that she could have easily just said you know what i'm not qualified to do this she could have taken a look at her own past resume and be like this isn't my job but instead she realized one important thing about some jobs sometimes being the one who dares to try is qualification enough 
So for those of you who kind of feel yourself in the same path, I asked Maggie what she thought was one of the most important things to keep in mind when taking on a new and huge challenge. And I hope what she says gives you some type of direction. Um, I think there's really two things. The first is get really comfortable with failure and mistakes. Um, again, that's something I hated, you know, and so anytime there was a little hiccup, it felt like the world was crashing down. But really when you're when you're building something new or doing something different, failure is a huge part of it. And it doesn't mean that it's, it's a bad thing. It really just means that you're growing in a big way that you've never grown before. So get really comfortable with, with that. Um, and then also find people who inspire you because there are gonna be a lot of long nights, a lot of hard days, a lot of, um, not, not disappointment, but I think growth, which comes with disappointment. Um, there'll be those days that you're like, why, why did I do this? Why did I not just volunteer at an already existing organization or you know, do something like that? why did I take this this bigger leap? And I think that's when you find those people who really inspire you and the work that they're doing inspires you when you look at them and you know they're doing something great and you are capable of something great. So lean on your mentors and find mentors that their work continually inspires what you do. I am Keyshawn Harper and this has been the To Be Determined podcast. If you felt inspired by today's story and you want to contribute to the Unity Fridge, feel free to contact them at unityfridgeprogram at gmail.com. Thank you all for listening. Until next time, take it easy. Real quick, I want to thank everyone for listening to this edition of Everyday Amazing, brought to you by the To Be Determined podcast. If you or someone you know has a story you think should be told, please feel free to message us at the number two, letter B, determined podcast at gmail.com. And remember, ladies and gentlemen, heroes are everywhere. You just got to find their secret identities.